Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this MLK edition. Everything's an MLK edition today of the NFL Review Show. Excited to be talking about the Saturday-Sunday mistakes, the things we got right, the things we got wrong. I'm Eric Lindquist. Excited to be talking it alongside my buddy here, Adam Scherer, who's coming off of, I mean, we get, we just, he smashes every sport now. He's now on the golf streets dominating, which sucks for me. Adam Scherer at Ship My Money TFS. How you doing, my dude? Doing pretty well. Uh, football was absolutely awful for me this week, so it was nice to get it back in, in PGA. But um, yeah, fun, fun day yesterday, non-NFL-wise. Fun day, non-NFL-wise. Uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, go look at that $15 in DK for golf. Uh, third place, really, really nice finish. Always fun to know that, you know, uh, that first one, though, was a little ways ahead. This is not as bad as, you know, the second place NFL afternoon where, you get bypassed and it's like there are 50 million things that had to go right for you to get passed in that scenario. Yeah. Uh, th- this one was, this one kind of felt like found money because I, like I knew a lot of guys that I needed to do poorly were doing really well. So I kind of just written it off. I wasn't even sweating it. And then mm-hmm. at the end of the night, I think uh, Ben Raza DM me and was like, are you sweating this? And I was like, no, should I be? And so then I looked and was like, Oh cool. I'm in third. But yeah, it was, whereas like getting second in NFL by three tenths of a point, just kind of pisses you off. Yes, it does. But, you know, we're here to talk some NFL. Just congratulations, Adam. Playing DFS is a lot of game theory, a lot of other things where we learn how to play DFS in multiple sports and playing lots of slates, having more exposure and doing the right things over a long period of time is going to come to fruition. Adam has shown that time and time again. Uh, he's very modest about it, too. So, I mean, that's that's really what you love to see is how modest Adam Share is. Yeah, I mean, hum- humility is just... <laughs> at the top of the list of things that are important to me. All right, let's smash that like button, subscribe button, notification bell here for for humble Adam because uh, he needs it. He needs it for his self-esteem and confidence that he doesn't have. Uh, So you said NFL sucked this weekend. It was not enjoyable for me either. There were some things that I definitely felt like I got right. There were some things that I definitely know that I got wrong. But overall, can you summarize a couple of your your plays that there were kind of make or break spots that just didn't go your way? Uh, Daryl Williams. I think we can start there. I want to just drop kick myself. So (laughs) we're going to go to the Saturday slate here in a second. Um, So just kind of you talk about Daryl Williams and and there's nothing populated for the Sunday games here on lineup study. Uh, Obviously, it's the day after it's uh, it's a holiday. So I'm assuming maybe they just didn't upload anything again. Totally understandable there. But Daryl Williams, um, I'm looking at the main DraftKings uh, Sunday three gamer. Uh, and then the Saturday one, we'll go back and, and that one's available here in lineup study. But starting with the Sunday one, because we're coming fresh off of it here. Winning lineup, Girl Pal 2015 on DraftKings, $200 left over. And the thing you needed on Sunday was Jarek McKinnon and Gio Bernard at 4,104 k which allowed you to play Samuel Evans, Kelsey Gronk, all the most expensive uh, pass catchers on the entire slate. Jammed all of those together and getting off of Daryl Williams, I had an eternal amount of Daryl Williams, which sucks because I also had an eternal amount of Gio Bernard. Um, and I chose to kind of take the injury consideration in one spot and I chose not to accept it in another, which is just really frustrating. But talk to me a little bit about Daryl Williams yesterday. Yeah, I didn't even really consider doing anything else. Uh, he had practiced. I thought he was just good to go. Um, felt really safe, really cheap. It was a spot where like, obviously he was going to be extremely popular, but uh, I was willing to pretty much just jam him in. I think I had 90% somewhere around there. Um, And then, yeah, I mean, basically I just stopped watching that game as soon as the first drive happened and I saw what was going on. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's, I I, I like the strategy in this lineup. Like Gio Bernard was somebody I talked about a lot on the strategy show yesterday. I didn't end up playing him. I just played a lot of, um, of, of Vaughn, but I thought that it was very realistic. Like I, I didn't think he would necessarily get as much work in a massive, easy win for Tampa Bay as he did. But if the game was competitive or if Tampa somehow was playing from behind, I thought Bernard was going to play a lot more than people were expecting. Um, so like that one made a lot of sense to me when it worked out. Like I was talking to you on Twitter. I was pretty frustrated with myself that I hadn't done anything to make sure I got to him. McKinnon really just didn't cross my mind, but um you know, it's a spot where he was really cheap and it's, it's, you, you can get negative correlation there, which is nice. Like mm-hmm. when you're thinking about how to win these massive field tournaments, 
you know, you can only do so much with wide receivers because like, uh, yeah, like you can play Pringle instead of Hill, but he's still 10% owned and, and you know, all that. But with running backs, it's like um, if McKinnon has a big game, you can pretty safely assume Darrell Williams isn't. So strategy wise, I think it made sense. So on Thursday, I do a show with Aton and, and we were kind of talking through the slate and he thought, what, what is the key to this slate? And I said, I think that there are going to be a lot of random second, third tier running backs that go nuts. And it was one of those spots where I was specifically thinking of Keyshawn Vaughn being sensitive in the event that Ronald Jones was ruled out. Leonard Fournette, we didn't get ruled out until Friday. I don't even think that was necessarily on my radar, but was thinking about guys like him rostering him. And then uh, Jarek McKinnon, it's just weird that that guy, especially being a Minnesota Viking fan, I've seen many times where he's gotten limited work and was still able to put up a serviceable fantasy score. You can say that a lot about a, a lot of different pass catching backs who can kind of on DraftKings find some kind of a ceiling and, it's almost a double dip because it's what a 4,100 and a 4K Jarek McKinnon, Gio Bernard get for the rest of your lineup. You completely get away from those 50, 55% running backs there in Daryl Williams and Joe Mixon and Josh Jacobs uh, from the Saturday slates, those type of plays that are just such condensed chalk and you get access to the best pass catchers. You get access to the most secure target shares there. And it wasn't even a perfect lineup. You had Eagles defense showing up at 2,500. I think that was maybe the worst performing defense on the entire slate. I know the Bucks put up nine, the Steelers put up nine. You had a number of these different defenses that are kind of throughout everything, but because of that two running back tandem at 3.5 and 5.9%, you didn't have to be perfect with anything else. Yeah, exactly. It kind of, it's, it's powerful in a couple of ways, because like you said, it gives you access to Debo and Evans and, you know, Gronk and Kelsey and pretty much whatever you want. Um, but then also you don't have to worry about the ownership elsewhere so much either, because if McKinnon and Bernard have big games, you know that you're pretty much just uh, not competing with that many other teams that have both of those guys. So, you know, not obviously not something I did. If you look at the, the top 10 there, um, I don't think I recognize a single name. So <laughs> it's, Something that I don't think, you know, obviously we don't have the data, but I don't think a lot of like 150 max guys did it. But it is something where, you know, we talk about how you're sort of at a dis well, you're at a disadvantage if you're playing these large field tournaments and not playing 150 lineups. Um, this is the kind of thing that I think is actually more appealing if you are playing limited lineups. Like you should be more willing to take a stand on something like Jarek McKinnon than than you are if you're playing 150 lineups, I think. Like there was no real reason. Maybe I should have had more than zero, but there was no real reason for me to like just have my entire night depend on Jarek McKinnon when, you know, I can make a lot of really good lineups that are different in a variety of ways. Um, if you're only taking one shot at it, you should be more willing, I think, to do something like that. I think that's a great point. And I think a lot of people that are watching the show either you know, a couple of days from now, a couple of weeks from now, I don't know what you guys do or when you watch these, but I know for a fact that you got to be willing to, in one lineup, just say, all right, well, goodbye, $20, <laughs> move on with your day. Like that's, that's definitely a great way of thinking about it. And you only need, if you're playing the one lineup and, and it doesn't cash, you lost $20. That feels a lot better than, you know, when you're putting together a portfolio of lineups, max entering a $20, I mean, what is that? $3,000 that you're looking at entering for 150 lineups for it depending on what it means to you, depending on, on like what that is to your bankroll, what it is to you as a person, like there needs to be opportunities for you to say, yes, I can do this or I can't. And Jarek McKinnon would feel like an unnecessary kind of a, it, it would feel like it would thin out your pool a little bit, uh, adding him in and trying to get like five, 6% of him. Um, I understand if you did, but then you're basically going against the, the guy that you're going to have in a majority of your lineups in some of these spots. I, I totally get that. Um, I get that way of thinking. Gronkowski, Kelsey, you just had a feeling that double tight end was going to be extremely viable on that slate. Uh, it looked like that was pretty much the most popular tandem amongst some of these top 10 lineups. Second had that tandem. Uh, I believe sixth place had the tandem. You're looking at a lot of Kelsey and Gronkowski and Gronk getting in the end zone was a definite, definite benefit to anybody who went that direction. But um, did you do anything yesterday kind of specifically knowing how many two tight ends there were going to be where you tried to get more wide receiver, more running back? Did that even cross your mind? I didn't do anything specifically there. Um, I know my tight end exposures were a little bit different than the field. I had, I think I had like 35% Gronk and I want to say like 20 something percent Kelsey. Okay. Um, but I played and like 25% Goddard, but I know I played like almost 60% Kittle, which was just one of a variety of things that went wrong. Um, 
But yes, I mean, I, I did play a lot of tight ends. I just kind of, I think, played a little bit more of ones that were a little bit less known. You almost need like San Francisco to go down early in some of these games. Like Kittle is so dependent on game script, I feel like. Yeah. And I like I had a lot of Jimmy G. I had a lot of Brandon Ayuk. Like that was a spot where I took a stand was mm-hmm. on San Francisco's pass. Oh, me game. too. Yeah. Don't you worry. <laughs> I actually, I was... so, so I forgot, I'd forgotten to check uh, my Yahoo results until right now. Um, Max entered the $20 for 3K. Uh, got back $120. $120. Oh, good. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> good job, Adam. Woo. Yeah. Very proud. Jordan Klein behind the virtual glass, also just standing O. Um, Yahoo. And you know, the best part is that overlaid. Yep. <laughs> I, was, I was actually talking to a friend the other day. Like, I don't know the last week that I profited in NFL on Yahoo, even though in theory, that's where I should be profiting. And then I had a really good year on DraftKings where it's actually hard. It's the most difficult of, I would say, the three main sites you would be playing on for DFS purposes. Of course, our sponsor, Prize Picks, we, they, they're not concerned about our DFS exposure. They're concerned about being able to play some of the props that you're able to do, to do over there. Uh, sites where, uh, or sorry, states where you don't necessarily have the legalized sports betting, you can still play some Prize Picks, get some exposure that direction. So I'm excited to talk about them a little bit later with you guys, but. That's kind of really all we've got to touch on for the Sunday slate because, you know, we obviously don't have a lot of the data to be able to go through and and to really kind of point out anything specific. Byron Pringle was a must-have piece there. I knew immediately after the first possession for the San Francisco 49ers that I had made massive, massive Jimmy Garoppolo (laughs) mistakes and that all of my Gio Bernard exposure was going to be dust. Well, it certainly was. 100% Patrick Mahomes on this slate was always the answer. I think I tweeted that out literally the beginning of that Dallas and San Francisco game when uh, 23% Patrick Mahomes on a three-game slate. I feel like maybe that was just a mistake by me, a mistake by the field, but such is life. Uh, Anything else you want to discuss from Sunday? Nope. Want to forget it ever happened. Me too. Let's jump on over here to Saturday. So we have all of the things that we need over there. Um, Also, oh, should I just say super wild? Everybody needs to use Super Wild. That's a good idea, right, Jordan Klein? Super Wild. People should download that. It's a word that makes no sense, but I absolutely love it because, you know, Super Wild. That was what we just got done with. And I believe that goes until tonight. So you got to use it. You got to get that $1 of NFL Express Weekly with promo code Super Wild. Get all of the showdown and single game contests that we have, player projections, ownership projections, top plays tool. That thing comes in handy. That is worth a dollar alone. That's worth $100 alone, I would say, depending on what volume you're playing. But Super Wild at checkout, that expires tonight. So definitely utilize that. Check it out. Um, but Eric wears a three-finger ring with one of the gold ropes. Nana told me if I pass, I get a sheepskin coat. I need a few packs to get the hat. No, that'd be dope. It's okay. Benny Levine, you got me going now. I'm ready to rock. But yes, he's super wild and, you know, don't rap like me because I suck. All right. NFL, Adam doesn't know what to do with himself. He's not even I couldn't reacting. hear you. It was, so it was really weird. You got like really quiet. Either you got quiet or I like temporarily went deaf. But like I could hear that you were talking, but I just couldn't hear anything you were saying. Austin Turner in my sleep bed at night. That's all I got. <laughs> it's just cool. Told Dre from the gate, I carry the heat for your first mixtape. So we got a hair to be for you. You didn't know I was a rapper, did you? I'm terrible. I just found out you were an actor the other day. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, that was fun times. We can rehash that one another day <laughs> on another show. That's for damn sure. We are, what, 16 minutes into this puppy? Smash that like button, y'all. Let's get going. All right, NFL lineup study from Saturday. We are looking at the Millie Maker because that's what a lot of people want to talk about. And a number of one lineups you know, that same kind of deal where if you can inherit some some risk in your one lineup builds, three of the top five are single darts in this contest. We have CB Davidson, and we'll go through some of the individual plays here. We can kind of rehash some stuff from Sunday, but probably not because we never want to think about it again. Maybe play Patrick Mahomes. That's what I learned. But CB Davidson, uh, absolute smash here in their lineup. Uh, let me find exactly what I'm clicking on here, but yes, CB Davidson, no doubt about it. Uh, what an absolute goat here. Josh Allen, Devin Singletary, Josh Jacobs, Jamar Chase, Kendrick Bourne, the must have value piece along with Zay Jones, Dawson Knox, Tyler Boyd and Bengals defense. Now 
right out of the gate. You had four quarterback options, and it was, well, do you play more Joe Burrow? Do you play more Josh Allen? And Josh Allen ended up 24%. That's less than a fourth there. Most people went the Joe Burrow route. What do you think about uh, Josh Allen, considering, you know, his rushing upside, number of paths to get there? Did you have more uh, interest in Joe Burrow on this slate or Josh Allen? Um, I don't know. It looks like I had more Allen. Um, I had not – so for, for anybody watching, um, my exposures kind of should be taken with a grain of salt here. I had an issue in Excel and basically just ended up playing 150 random lineups that I had made instead of – what I probably would have played, but um, I, I did have more Allen. I think I expected to have more Allen. Um, one, I guess one kind of like overarching trend, because we saw it on the Sunday slate too, maybe you sh- we should just be playing the best quarterbacks more on these short slates because it yeah. seems like, it, n- not a knock on Joe Burrow, obviously the ceiling was really high, but um, just the 24% ownership coming into Josh Allen, it kind of just seems like, uh, and like I did it yesterday, I played a lot of Dak, I played less Mahomes. If you're going to just kind of get flat ownership on these guys, maybe you should just be playing the guy that is the best. What a concept. Yeah. My God, I'm just so mad about this entire weekend because that's <laughs> that's kind of really the theme that I have too, where I, I did have more Allen, but like not substantially more. I didn't take some kind of an aggressive approach with the best quarterback here. I liked his spot against new England. We literally saw him on the road, shred them up. Now he's going back. Oh, it's cold. Oh, the horror. A guy who lives in Buffalo who plays football every day in Buffalo is going to be cold. Oh crap. Like what a stupid deal that was. I I just can't even, but like legitimately looking at a lot of these lineups. I mean, it's just, you played Josh Allen or you did it because the guy went for a 40 spot. We can play Monday armchair quarterback, literally Monday, but at the same time, legitimately, he's the best quarterback on the slate. Joe Burrow, he needs to get there through the air, and it's a playoff game, maybe Joe Mixon more. Just a lot of things that, you know, you don't even need Josh Allen to necessarily put up the 40 spot like he did. Just, I think he's going to outperform Burrow more of the time. And if you're going to get different already, you're probably going to be leaving salary on the table or having a different roster construction, and that's going to matter a little bit more uh, in terms of how you get different. Would you agree with that? That's, that's the thing that I think I've been thinking about the most is maybe it's the Bernard and the, the, um, the aspect of these five, 6% plays, but it's just like, there are such standard builds for what you would do if you were playing like a hundred field tournament, but in a 200,000 entry tournament, that one or two pieces of differentiation, like finding those and being able to be overweight to them feels like the key. If you're making one fifty. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense. And I think it can be kind of hard, kind of difficult to do. Like, I know there's definitely times where when I talk through a slate on a show, it's like, oh, I really like this idea. And then when I go through my lineup building process, it just doesn't get there. And that's probably like, like I do different things to try and and get to some of those guys. Um, and that is probably a reason they're low owned if like I see that I want them and I still just don't get to them. But um, yeah, it, it's kind of even thinking back to like, four and five game slates that I had success on during the regular season, like on afternoon or early slates. Um, a lot of times it was just not even necessarily somebody that I realized was going to be four or 5% owned, but you know, just somebody that is still a legitimate option. You know, I, I don't think either of us are advocating for like trying to get some like number five receiver that is going to play two snaps and, and hope mm-hmm. he scores. But like in the situation, you know, yesterday where you knew Bernard was going to be on the field. It was just a question of how much and, Everybody thought they knew the answer when really nobody had any idea. Uh, McKinnon, obviously, everybody was wrong there too. But spots like that, I think, where you know you know one side of basically of, of two or three options is going to be low owned, and the reason is that the field has sort of just come to a consensus on playing time when they're they're likely to be right, but there's a lot of volatility there. I think attacking those spots harder is a really good idea on these smaller slates. Yeah, it's it's definitely, and you've had a lot of success on these two, three gamer afternoon slates throughout the entire season. And I mean, I can't tell you how many times you've reviewed, you know, top three finishes for you in that contest. So, you know, there's there's definitely, I'm, I'm definitely going to factor in more of, of your opinion on some of these plays because you've proven that there's a process to kind of get to the top of it. And just something that I've been thinking about a lot here over this weekend where, we're going to have short slates. We only have short slates coming up for NFL the rest of the season. So we have to be able to 
inherit some of the risk or you have to kind of tell yourself, all right, maybe I'm just going to pump down on volume. Like it's, it's really one of the two. Uh, there's really not a third option for me in this regard. So I need to start finding some of these stands and being a little bit more uh, over the top on them. But again, Jeremy McKinnon was just never going to show up in any of my lineups there. So long as Daryl Williams was active. And, and, uh, and I mean, it depends on the slate too, like where, how, you know, how crazy you need to get. Like I, I know it wasn't a two or a three gamer, but um last Sunday's late slate where I did well, uh, it was just as simple as like everybody, the Cardinals were playing the Seahawks and everybody was going to the Cardinals side of the game and you could just get Russell Wilson on, I think it was like a four or five game slate at 8%. Um, obviously you're not going to get, you know, a Russell Wilson type guy at 8% on a three gamer, but that idea, like there's still just going to be some slates where you can get a good quarterback at, you know, 15% or something, 16%, because one, another quarterback really stands out. Like, for example, I have no idea what the, the NFL schedule looks like next weekend, but <laughs> let's say you have a slate where Patrick Mahomes is on it and, you know, very clearly the top option. There's the potential for the second best option to still be a good quarterback and just not get that much ownership. So, like, you, you don't necessarily have to be digging into the, you know, backup running backs and, and that type of thing. But, um, you know, different slates kind of set up for, different strategies yeah and i mean damian williams could be or sorry daryl williams could be set for success right right off the bat next week um if he practices in full maybe he ends up you know obviously it's going to be something where people talk about mckinnon now and talk about him being a, a part of this kansas city offense and i i don't know what those tags are going to look like here as well i mean we're obviously very focused on our nba here today but um, looking at NFL stuff for next week, like it, there are going to be a lot of pieces of the puzzle that need to be put together right off the bat. That game, <laughs> Buffalo Bills, Kansas City Chiefs. I don't know if there's a playoff game I've been more excited for in a long, long time than that one. Yeah. So that's kind of like the perfect example of what I was just talking about. Like, mm -hmm. if obviously no idea what it's going to look like, but let's say that Mahomes is getting, you know, twice the ownership of Josh Allen, uh, just jamming in like every Bill stack you can. And with, you know, every trying to get, you know, to the McKenzie's and, you know, any random piece from the Bills that could catch a touchdown, but just getting to the the lower own side there is going to be a really good strategy. Whereas, you know, yesterday you kind of didn't have, you didn't necessarily have any one quarterback going overlooked. So going, you know, taking shots on the Bernard McKinnon type guys, I think made a little bit more sense. All right. We've got a question. Rory O'Connor, not sure how NFL rewind is important, but okay, I ain't going anywhere. I'm sticking around for NBA. That's great. Super happy that you're sticking around for NBA. But if you play NFL, if you play any of these massive contests, being able to jump into lineup rewind, having the opportunity to, to see what was a mistake, what was fluky, what was something where you felt like you got exposure to a player that was just underowned compared to their chances for success, that's literally what our NBA boom bust tool does, our NFL boom bust tool. And again, playing DFS in any sport. There are so many concepts that carry over. So, Adam, for anybody watching this show here, why do you think that NFL Rewind is important? Um, I mean, I think there's just kind of different ways you can approach it, too. Like, you can, you can just answer a lot of questions that you have. And, like, honestly, I probably don't spend enough time going through Rewind-type stuff. Um, I kind of just keep making mistakes until I figure out on my own. But <laughs> um, like, Those are costly. Yeah, yeah, but, like, it can be as simple as – you know, like if if I played someone that did horribly, for example, Darrow Williams, um, you can just go back in and see, you know, pick three or four guys that you think are good and see what they did. You know, if if I played heavy exposure to somebody and he did horribly and I look and Alex had a lot of him and Steve had a lot of him, uh, I feel better about it, you know, that I didn't screw up. If I play someone that did horribly and I play a lot of him and I look and a bunch of guys that I respect just didn't play the guy, then I'm going to be, okay, well, I probably did something I shouldn't have there and, you know, figure out kind of where I went wrong. So um, it, it's, I, I think it's most helpful because it's really, really difficult in DFS sometimes to know if you're playing poorly or just, you know, going through a, a bad streak because it happens. Like tournaments are really top heavy. They're difficult to win. Um, I think it can be really easy. It's probably the best way to go back in and kind of just say like, okay, am I completely just off the board, like doing dumb shit or is it just not working out right now? Yeah. And I will say this kind of leads me into what I want to talk about. And that's Kendrick Bourne. Uh, the best value piece that you had on that slate, 28.1 fantasy points. 
he had the second best fantasy performance out of any player at any position on Saturday. Coming into this game, you had Wilkerson end up getting active 60% and 58% of offensive snaps here the last two weeks. So not some massive allotment there. Nelson Aguilar was back in the mix, but 11.4% ownership. You were trying to find different pivots in, in that same range. It's a two-game slate where if somebody catches a touchdown, they're probably going to end up optimal. He's at least on the field for over 50% of the time. So, you know, you could do worse, but in a comfort behind fashion, New England, I, I feel like there was not a single pass catcher that anybody here at Osmo or anybody who played 150 was overweight to whatsoever. Like nobody got close to getting over the field on 11.4% ownership. Brinpack had 11.3%. So he's the closest out of anybody with 150 that really I was looking at. What did you think about Kendrick Bourne? And how do you kind of consider when you know that one team and New England was that team this week is going to go in, uh, come in super low owned. Is there ever a time that you just try to find an overweight approach on one of those receivers? Yeah. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. And especially in, in this game, it made some sense just because it positively correlated with Buffalo. So, I mean, you're getting, you, you don't have to go like Mac Jones plus Bourne. You can go Allen plus whoever on the bills. Um, and run it back with Bourne. So it's not like you have to go completely to like an inferior New England stack. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think he made sense. It, it, I, I had 12%. Again, that doesn't necessarily mean that's what I intended. But uh, it seems like a lot of people just basically were around the field. And I think it made sense. He kind of just fit into lineups. It's not like he was an obvious value. You know, 4,500 is cheap, but it's not like he was 3K or something. Um, just fit into lineups where you were playing the Bills, the, you know, mostly, I think. Yeah, agreed. And having Josh Allen, yeah, the, the clear run back that you absolutely needed to have to win a tournament. Anytime somebody's going to be 11 or double digit percent owned, even on a two, three gamer, you better have them in your lineup when they do something as nuclear as that. Joe Mixon was obviously a disappointment at 11.6 fantasy points that sunk three quarters of the field before the, the tournament even began, really. So if you made the pivot directly to Josh Jacobs, you were in a much, much better spot. Devin Singletary went smash, just like everybody on Buffalo did. Outperformed the game's team total by themselves. That seems pretty good. Um, they had the perfect game. They threw the absolute gem uh, there with no punts, no anything. I think that that was pretty well, uh, pretty well explained. I think um, it, it's just Buffalo went completely nuts and he needed to have them. And he needed to avoid the landmines, the landmines being Joe Mixon, Darren Waller, and, and so on and so forth. Just the most popular plays on the slate here. Um, I, I don't know if there's really a lesson to be taken out of that, considering they were all fantastic plays. But uh, I guess just being sensitive that Joe Mixon, 74%, anytime somebody's going to be 74% on a two-game slate, things can go wrong in the NFL. Yeah, for sure. Um, that I, And that can be applied to waller as well um on these shorter slates like obviously you just get a lot higher ownership on on everybody i didn't think mixon or waller were like even bad plays at that ownership i thought they they deserved it but it's still whenever ownership gets that high it gets to the point where you can consider just you know even if they are correctly owned you can kind of start to consider just going somewhere else and hoping you know because you know that you're only competing with 25 percent of the field if they fail um mm -hmm. so it, it becomes a little bit different than you know when someone's like 25%. It's like, okay, even if I don't play them, I still have to beat 75% of the field that also didn't play them. Uh, once the numbers start, you know, pushing 80%, it starts to be kind of appealing at least to just go somewhere else. So let's, yeah, let's do this. Click on stacks, Jordan Klein. Click on where it says stacks in the top left portion here, because something I had talked about leading into wildcard weekend, when we did the lineup review from last year's wildcard weekend and into this year's one thing that we saw was quarterback, two wide receivers and a run back had like almost nine, 10% of the field exposure. I am shocked at how flat everything is in terms of lineup build. Like there was no true clear cut way that people built their lineups with, you know, like the two and a run back and then having it be condensed in different directions. Now it's a two game slate. So you're looking at more combinations uh, to get different or to have things kind of scatter around in a certain way. You're not, as particular to it, but I do find it very fascinating that there was no clear cut build uh, opportunity to no way that uh, I guess quarterback with two wide receivers makes the most sense on a two game slate, just because if that quarterback goes off compared to the other three quarterbacks on the slate, you're probably taking two pass catchers with you most of the time. 
um, and, and going to have a better chance at, at kind of finding those spike performances. I am just shocked, though, at how flat all of the different builds are. Are you as well? I think a lot of it can be explained by Joe Mixon because okay. when you and I had looked at it for the previous for, for last year, um, one of the big gaps was that people weren't pairing running backs with quarterbacks. And but because Joe Mixon was just like clearly the top running back people were going to get to and then people were still going to Burrow, Chase, whatever. Mm-hmm. I think it closed that gap just because um, people weren't going to just avoid Mixon because they were playing Burrow. Uh, so you just kind of naturally got people doing that, even if they like their strategy coming in probably wasn't, oh, you know, people are not going to play running backs with quarterbacks enough, so I'm going to do that. It was probably just, oh, well, I want to play Joe Burrow. I want to play Chase. And I want to play Mixon. All right. That's just, you know, a fascinating anecdote I wanted to throw in because, again, we're reviewing lineups and that's a that's a portion of it. Uh, I don't think there were that many considerations. I don't think I made any considerations to the stack type, but on a three gamer, I think it probably could have been a little bit more pronounced. We can't look at that here right now, but, you know, I, I think it can be assumed that quarterback two wide receiver and run back seems to be kind of the most prevalent way that people are putting together these lineups on three gamers, but two gamers going forward. Uh, yeah, probably having less, probably having less thoughts about uh, exactly uh, what that what that stack's going to look like with that running back being plugged into the grouping. But um, just wanted to talk about it there, and also I want to talk about our sponsor, Prize Picks. We've got just over twenty minutes left here of the NFL Review Show before we take you guys over to NBA Live Before Lock, which is kind of cool. Uh, that's going to be the early morning edition. That's going to be Greg and Josh taking you guys all the way up. To the lock. I know there's six games on the FanDuel slate. That's the one I'm going to be kind of looking at over on DK. It's like three, four, three. I, I, I don't know even what's going on with that. I know it's five games for the late night over there. But right now at Prize Picks, if you sign up, you will get one free month of Osmo Plus Platinum. Use the deposit match bonus too to get $100 when you sign up and make your first deposit. So up to $100, you're getting back instantly. This is a really cool, fun site to be playing on. Super clean, super easy to navigate online or uh, in the App Store. So head to the App Store, Google Play, download it wherever you want, uh, wherever you can get your apps and and you're set to go. No sharks, no optimizers, none of that stuff. It's flat out prop-based games. You get that $100 for a smash deposit bonus. You can net up to 10x your entry fees. So you play two, three, four, or five combination parlays. You put those together, you can net up to 10x your entry fee. And what I find is really fun is a guy like Adam over there who dominates every single DFS sport, every single sport under the sun. Well, he can combine props from different sports as well. NBA, NFL, you can play PGA. They'll have like women's European basketball. They'll have CSGO for a bunch of props. I'm telling you the easiest play or the easiest way to get all of that knowledge that you have and play in multiple sports. The best place to go utilize that knowledge is at prize picks plus we have a free player props tool for the NBA that helps you make some decisions in that regard as well. So check out prize picks, use promo code Osmo, get that free month of Osmo plus platinum and deposit match up to a hundred dollars. Thank you so much. They've sponsored this show the entire season back when it was you and Josh. Now it's you and me. Uh, we appreciate them. And I hope that you guys definitely check them out. It is, it is just a fun place to go. So uh, definitely, definitely go sign up. Um, let's keep it on moving here. We've got, some exposures to go through from players. We're going to focus more on Osmo. We've got Neil, Rinpak, and of course the winner that we can kind of rehash here, but you know, they have a single dart. Must be nice. Must be nice. Uh, Osmo, Alex Baker himself, Joe Mixon, a little bit below the field on that. Looks like maybe you just put a cap there, 66%, two thirds of your lineups, just going to Joe Mixon. Makes some sense there. Uh, just kind of one third of lineup scale, a little bit different. Devin Singletary, um, another guy that's just seen a gigantic amount of workload, uh, and, and has been the clear-cut number one there for weeks now, a little bit over the field there. And then Stefan Diggs, he's kind of the, the bust, and it's so counterintuitive because so many people stacked up Josh Allen with Stefan Diggs. That's your clear-cut, clear-cut wide receiver one. But in tournaments, if you wanted to get different on this slate, if you could somehow avoid Mixon and you could avoid Josh Allen stacking him up with Stefan Diggs, you were absolutely golden in tournaments. What do you think about the top end of his exposures there? Yeah, I, I think they're interesting because you can kind of see it. And, and as you like work your way down, you see it a little bit more. But he basically took a huge stand on the Patriots. And like he was overweight on the Bills, took a huge stand on the Patriots. And so basically, you know, just had a ton of exposure overall to that game. Uh, if that game is competitive and goes off and, you know, is higher scoring than the Cincy game, you're going to look really good. And that kind of goes back to 
what like the example that I used with uh, the Seahawks versus the Cardinals the other day, um, you were just getting you didn't necessarily have to go to Mac Jones, but you could just get pretty low owned Patriots here on a slate where, you know, they're still relatively likely to do to do well. So that stands out. You know, he, he's over the field on Singletary. He's over on Diggs. Uh, we know that he's he's almost double the field on Josh Allen. Um, but then, you know, tons of Damian Harris, uh, tons of Jacoby Myers, which shouldn't surprise anybody at this point. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of Cole Beasley. So I, I think, you know, you can kind of see that he played a lot of the bills, but then from like a leverage standpoint, I guess he was most like overexposed to the Patriots. Yeah. Yeah. Alex Baker, he's married, but he is married to the game. And that game is rostering Jacoby Myers. There's no doubt about it. 12.8% ownership there. Wide receiver one, getting him at a low number like that. I would say if you just took the fantasy points and scrapped them from the record or you just scrapped everything here, I would say Jacoby Myers is somebody that I would instantly be like, I would want to be over 12.8%. Don't you think? Like that would be a great play, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I've played a lot of him all year. I know Alex has. Um, yeah. Definitely a spot where I would want to get there on that slate. Yeah, definitely. So if you want to take something away from from something that didn't even work out that well, 10, 10 fantasy points by Jacoby Myers, 4,500 though for a wide receiver one, and you're getting them in a negative, like an extreme negative game script there. Yeah, that I, I really like that play, regardless of the fact that it didn't really pan out. But yeah, Josh Allen, 41.3%. Boss man, there's a reason he's good at this, and that would be right there. Just finding a way to get over on that best quarterback on the slate. Well done there. But, you know, didn't really have all of the other pieces. Kendrick Bourne was a must-have. 9.3% uh, there uh, looked like a pretty decent, pretty decent number. I want to see, did he end up, uh, what was his profit? Uh, so he lost a little bit on this slate, but... Uh, it's it's just really coming down to if you had Mixon or if you had Stefan Diggs in bulk like that, it just was going to be very, very tough sledding from there. It's just two very popular pieces. And if you're over on them, uh, fit the, the Stefan Diggs piece for sure, it just became a difficult spot to recover because of Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd and those guys who went for massive ceilings. And that's kind of what you're giving up in some of your lineups, not all of them. But uh, anything else that you notice here from Boss Man? No, I think the the Patriots was what really stood out to me. Yeah. Uh, Neil Orfield, Darren Waller, 79.3% on a slate where Titan went completely nuts. Darren Waller was the one who went the least nuts, which is just ironic and ridiculous. But yes, 51.3%. You talked about him a little bit earlier. And then the dud of all duds for the Saturday slate as we review this was T. Higgins. And he was the wide receiver that I was the highest on for the entire slate. Uh, I would say Neil at 78.7%. I would say he was pretty high on him too. So highest own there. I don't even really know what to say because, you know, Cincinnati's playing next week. I'm going to roster probably a ton of T Higgins again. Uh, is there any kind of a way you look at a team that has this condensed volume here? Do you see any kind of a mistake with T Higgins or, I mean, it's just, he didn't play well. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't really think so. We, the, the only thing I guess I could point to is that, you know, we had Higgins projected for 50% ownership. We had Boyd at 35, Chase at 42. So, I mean, you could always make the case to like just play, you know, play Boyd and Chase more just because they're lower owned. Um, but I think Higgins was just very clearly a good play that didn't work out. Yeah. And then you're getting down to like Ramondre Stevenson, where 38% of Ramondre as opposed to 17.3% of the field looks like Osmo. Alex, yourself, uh, regardless of how we look at your exposures, everybody underneath on Ramondre Stevenson outside of Neil, who took a very overweight approach. And, you know, he ended up getting 10 fantasy points. I, I would say Brandon Bolden was somebody I expected more out of as well. Hey, we don't have to think about New England again. That's a plus. But um, I, I don't completely hate just taking an overweight approach on some of those guys. I think Neil does a really good job of using the tools and finding points of leverage, understanding that the field is going to be lower on a guy and not saying that it's going to work out every single time because that's just in, like an asinine thought to have. But he does do a really good job, a job of finding these one or two massive points of leverage, and he really takes them. Um, and, and for him on this slate, Ramondre Stevenson, I think was just kind of that guy. Um, and, and I don't really know what to mine out of that either just a, a spot where they were the lowest total on the board. We had already talked about trying to find some exposure to some new England pieces. Cause they were all going to be low owned. Damian Harris is the guy that the boss man took an overweight approach to, but um, is there anything that you thought about specifically about the new England trio coming into Saturday? 
I think the thing that stands out to me the most and looking at Neil's Stevenson exposure, um, Stevenson was only projected for 4% ownership. So like, if you had told me that he was 17%, I would be like, that's kind of a weird spot for Neil to be taking like a stand. Um, mm-hmm. But if you thought coming in, he was 4%, that's just the type of spot where there's enough volatility there. Um, you know, Damien Harris, obviously being, active isn't good for Stevenson, but there's just enough volatility where Stevenson ends up being the better of the two guys that if he was actually 4%, I could see wanting to get a lot of him. So I think that explains that stand for him too. Oh, I think that's sharp. That's why we have you on this show, right? Yeah. Stuff like that as I'm just talking. Cool. Raiders, Bengals defense. Again, uh, it's a two game slate. You just kind of rapid fire scatter shot those defenses all over the place. And, you know, obviously you had the lower owned ones in, in the Patriots and it doesn't look like anybody wanted to roster a ton of the Patriots. Alex actually 22.7%. That's fascinating. Um, it's kind of the way that uh, we looked at Pittsburgh yesterday, obviously scoop and score by Watt there at the end. Uh, that was kind of a, a slate changer in some regards, even though the winning lineup didn't even have any of the defenses that performed well on the three gamer, but such is life. Welcome to the NFL on a two or three game slate. Uh, Ren Pack, Josh Allen, 60.7%. He's pretty sharp. Zay Jones, his second highest owned player at 58%. Uh, Zay Jones was somebody who had a large target share, or sorry, just had been on the field a, a large amount of the time, 90 plus percent of snaps in however many games in a row it seemed like. Uh, Deshaun Jackson, Brian Edwards, definitely distant seconds uh, or uh, thirds and fourths, I guess, on the wide receiver chart behind Renfro and Zay Jones there. But uh, that's just a massive overweight approach on a guy that was already pretty popular, 33.6% piece of value. You needed to find somebody. That's kind of where he took his stand for sure. Zay Jones, 17.1, definitely worked out. So Ryan had the first two pieces of the equation 100% correctly. Then it's the mix and digs landmines, and there's nothing you can do a whole lot about that. Uh, Raiders defense, 48% going up against the most popular quarterback. I find that very, very fascinating as well, considering they were 11.6%. Let's talk defense because they are a roster spot. How do you kind of look at it on a two and a three game slate where you could just have random fluky things happen? Are you inclined to be somebody to take a massive overweight approach on uh, the lowest owned defense on the board in certain spots like this and saying, you know what, gives me a different roster construction. I don't even care if they're going up against my quarterback in a lineup. Yeah, like I don't think it's a must, but I know like I did I know yesterday, uh, I think the Cowboys were my highest on defense, but the Eagles were right behind them at like 28%. Um and so it was kind of like I didn't like the spot for Philly obviously, but there's just so much volatility in defenses that I think that is one way, one just kind of easy way to um be contrarian in tournaments is, you know, especially if, for example, yesterday, you know, I had, I had Evans, I had Gronk, but I didn't really have much Tom Brady. I didn't have a lot of – I had a lot of Vaughn, but I didn't have a lot of Tampa Bay, like, outside of that. So I'm underweight on, a, on an offense, basically, and then people also aren't playing that defense. That's just kind of one way to set yourself up, um, you know, to be contrarian and you just, you know, hope you get a pick six or something. Um, but then also, like you said, I think on these shorter slates, relaxing the rules that you use is another way that you can kind of be a little bit more contrarian because you should worry, I think, a little bit less at least about avoiding negative correlation since there's only so many options. Like you can still very easily have a good lineup that, you know, has a pass catcher or two against your your defense. Um, but other, But enough people probably aren't going to want to do that, that it's, it's different as well. So um, yeah, I I think that's one pretty good approach. All right. And then looking at uh, yours, we won't look at yours. We're going to just finish up with Rinpak. We'll do the hall of fame. We'll get ourselves out of here again. NBA live before lock coming to you in less than 15 minutes. So be on the lookout for that. They'll have you covered to be Kang. Uh, Absolutely. Check that out here. Um, But yeah, we're, we're still, you're going to have plenty of time. They're going to have all the time in the world to help you. Get uh, everything, all the information that you need here for those slates, because Adam and I are going to be playing those too. We're not going anywhere. We are by our computers all day to celebrate this MLK Day. It's such a fun day of NBA, so uh, don't go anywhere. We're going to have you covered. So the last thing really to look at from Rinpak was some of the guys that he was much, 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 much lower on. Jamar Chase, less than half the field. Uh, Anytime you see the bright red category, you know that they're taking a very strong stance below and anytime you see a bright green online on Fantasy Cruncher uh, on Lineup Rewind, they are taking a massive overweight stance. Jamar Chase, 
Looks like everybody was lower here out of Osmo on him. And again, 51% when you've got two other wide receivers in Tyler Boyd and T Higgins, obviously if T Higgins is the guy who gets peppered. You're probably looking at a 50% bust from Jamar chase. What do you do with Jamar chase next week? Again, where, you know, it's going to be a two gamer. He's going to be 50%. He's got massive upside, but it's not about the upside. It's about hoping that he fails in some of these spots. And I, he's going to fail eventually. I just have that feeling. And I want to be shorting him again on this slate. Should I be looking at doing that considering what we're seeing 50 plus percent, even though there's a lot of places to go with that football in Cincinnati. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he's, he deserves it though. Like he's so good and he gets, yeah, and he gets, you know, so many targets. So it, it's still, I mean, as, as usual, it comes down to what the, the other options are on the slate. It comes down to uh, his ownership versus the alternatives, but um, I'm, I'm definitely not going in hoping that I don't play a lot of Jamar Chase. All right, Jordan Klein, I'm getting the head nod. We're not going to do Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame, bad. No Hall of Fame? He's wearing his Cleveland Guardians hat. I can't take you seriously. (laughs) No, no Hall of Fame. Okay, we'll have plenty of time for Hall of Fame here later in the days. Seven minutes to go here in this show. Anything else that you're noticing here from your lineups? Obviously, I don't even want to talk about yours considering you had some stuff that got jumbled up and isn't true to what you kind of thought on the slate. But anything else that you're really taking away from this Saturday Millie Maker? No, not really. I mean, it's it's a two-game slate. Like, yeah. weird things are going to happen. Not, yeah. Embrace variance. Is that kind of a, a yeah, way to sure. sign sure. off of this? Yeah, just embrace variance. Definitely give yourself as many opportunities as you can to either uh, be overweight to chalk you really like, be underweight to the chalk you don't. And again, uh, Jamar Chase, he's a freak. He's an absolute freak. I love watching him play football. I just really like T Higgins too. And it's just so crazy to me that that is something that uh, he just, he, then he screwed me over that badly, but such is life. Um, seven minutes left to go here. We could probably get out of here a little bit early too, as well. I don't have any problem with that, but uh, the top 150 guy, uh, Mr. C P U guru. I want to take a look at his lineups here too, considering he was the only 150 guy to finish in that top five here among, amongst a lot of single entries. I was just curious if his uh, exposures matched up with some of the winning lineups here. Doesn't really look like it. I mean, he was 60% mix and 60% Singletary. Waller was high on there. Looks like it was just kind of one lineup, 40% Josh Allen. I think that that was a strong approach. Look how many caps this guy puts on his lineups. I mean, that's, he basically said, I am getting 60% of Mixon and Singletary. I am getting 50% of Jacobs. Higgins and Burrow. These are the things you kind of notice as you do this more 40%. He put on the caps for those. Um, That's probably not something I'm going to do a whole heck of a lot. What do you think kind of the theory is behind that? Just kind of saying, I, 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 I'm happy getting to this amount and move on with my day. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't want it to sound the way it's going to sound. I think it's because it, it, I I don't necessarily think it's bad or anything. Um, I, I think it's probably just, someone that hasn't figured out a better way to do it um it is like and again like i don't i don't mean that to sound as like condescending as i'm sure it did yeah he won over five hundred thousand dollars i think he'll wipe his tears (laughs) with hundreds he'll be fucking fine yeah yeah, he'll be fine but no i mean it just like to me it looks like somebody that like they they know what they are trying to do um and they probably just haven't found like a better way of doing it other than just like really hard flat caps yep which like is fine It, it obviously worked it worked. I was going to say, what a sometimes Monday armchair quarterback. It's just an interesting place to be. Like it, again, it goes back, like p- people ask a lot about, like, you know, the last, like me and Josh, like what settings we use in Fantasy Cruncher. And the answer is normally play around with it, figure out what works. Because at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is just get a set of lineups that look like the lineups that you would build by hand if you were building by hand. And so, I mean, I have no idea what the rest of this guy's process is. Uh, but I would assume that he figured out that if he just does this, it does what he wants it to do, which is really all that you're trying to do. Yeah. Girl Pal 2015 won the Millie on Sunday. This is the Saturday Millie that we're looking at here because, again, the data isn't there for the Sunday one. We're doing the best that we can. Uh, again, it's a holiday, so I, I do not blame them for not necessarily uh, putting on the top of their priority list that we need to populate our lineup review data. Like, I don't think that that's something that I'm going to freak out too much about, but That's why we covered a lot more of this Saturday slate. We obviously touched the Sunday slate at the beginning of this show. So go back and check that. I thought there were some good uh, tidbits there from Adam talking about some of the running backs that went nuts in that spot. Some of the wide receivers here. We've got four minutes left. I'm just going to ask you this. 
Who's the guy that you're going to roster tonight that is not named Cooper Cup? Probably not going to play tonight. Oh, just all NBA. Yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't been playing Showdown recently. Uh, what a, uh, that's a smart decision. But hey, if you do <laughs> want to check out some Showdown stuff, check out the programming we have coming up later in the day. It is bonkers. So obviously, NBA is coming up. Uh, for everybody that was wondering, to be king, uh, you're welcome. You're you're ready to go. Starting 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Oh, well, like 8.30 a.m. Pacific time. I don't know what time it is. I'm exhausted. 11.30 p.m. Eastern time. A.m. Eastern time. What the hell? I'm going to start over. <laughs> I'm going to start over. Don't look at me. Don't look at me while I'm doing this because I'm just, you know. Jordan, relax. Jordan, don't give me that look. God, you're so annoying. I'm just going to read it off the page. 11.30 a.m. Eastern time. There we go. I got it. NBA. That's going to be the live before lock coming up here for this morning's slate of games here. Awesome betting show coming up at 1 p.m. Eastern time. We've got 3 p.m. Eastern time. The NFL yahoo show we've got 4 30 p.m eastern time the deeper dive in live before lock that's eight and lamarca getting it kicked off deeper dive waffy adam the dynamic duo uh 5 p.m eastern time check it out six o'clock nba live before lock that's going to be josh and greg coming back so they're doing the morning they're doing the evening that's going to be really fun check out both of those and then nfl live before lock ben and Matt Gajewski. It's the college duo. That's going to be really fun to watch. It's 7.05 p.m. Eastern time. So check out all the programming. We've got you covered for everything you need, NBA, NFL, and such. So uh, any other final thoughts here as we talk about the weekend that you and I are very happy to be forgetting? Uh, no, I think that that covers it. That kind of covers it, Jordan Klein. We should get ourselves out of here. We're going to leave two minutes early because, again, well, you know, there's not really a whole lot else to say. Glad you're feeling better, my dude. I am feeling so 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 much better so i'm gonna feel even better when i bink nba because you know that's gonna happen because adam's not playing on FanDuel. yay for me guys thanks so much to prize picks for sponsorship of of this show uh thank you so much to lineup rewind fantasy cruncher thank you fantasy cruncher you gotta always remember to do that he's adam share he's now a golf expert i'm eric i can't even make a putt anymore we'll see you guys later. Tonight.